Maintenant, voici l'hôte de Romantic Trousse, Josan. Hi everyone, Jocelyn here, Romantic Truth, Las Vegas. Let's talk about dating. That's right, folks. That thing that you hate to do, that's time-consuming, consumes resources, emotional capital, and it keeps you on pins and needles for a while until you think you've found somebody that's decent to meet. The majority of dating now is done online. A few years ago, it was unheard of. People didn't trust it. Those are some cre creepy, eerie people out there, people used to say. The only difference is those creepy and eerie people that are online now were the same creepy and eerie people that people were meeting before the internet was even thought of. The only thing is they have a platform now to express their creepiness. That's it. Outside of that, the only thing that's changed is technology. People stay the same. Dating is a daunting task because you're trying to find a special someone. And it's very difficult because there are a lot of things you have to navigate through. Let's look at some of these things you have to really look out for. Of course, you have the scammers. The people that are in other countries that are trying to lie and say they're in the United States, or they may put in their profile that they're in Las Vegas, but they're actually somewhere in Nigeria, or somewhere in South Africa, or somewhere in Peru, Brazil, you name the country. As if they've displayed integrity. If they can't even tell you where they actually are and they got to lie and put some other city there, that tells you right there what you're dealing with. Then you have others, people that are in bad marriages and relationships that want to break from it in some kind of way. In other words, to find someone to have a quote-unquote vacation away from their marriage or relationship. Maybe a one-night stand. Maybe a long-term friends with benefits thing that the spouse or partner doesn't know about. Then you have the hopeless romantic. That individual that if a good man or woman came their way, they wouldn't know the difference because they're chasing a carrot with a narrative in their head. Then you have the people who are broke trying to act as if they're rich saying they want $300 dinners. They want a bag that costs $1,600. They want a man that makes six figures. When in actuality, what they're doing is telling on themselves about how broke they are and what they would like on their wish list. You have married people out there simply looking for anything they can get so they can screw. You have others out there that look at dating as nothing more than a form of entertainment with no intentions of meeting these people ever. 
They like wasting their time online, chatting. And then they might advance it to video chatting. But these people are usually pen pals. You got people that are overseas trying to date someone in the United States. Where to be logistically a nightmare to even think about it. With the restrictions they have on COVID that changes from day to day, country to country. The process of getting the person a visa. The liability of them coming here and then you having to be responsible for them while they're here. They might have made contact with other people and you're thinking they're coming here to see you and what they're actually coming to do is just to get into the States, get with the person that they were corresponding with besides you and disappear and stay past their visa. You have people that have just gotten out of bad relationships and they want revenge. And that revenge starts with a new relationship. Some poor sucker, man or woman, getting their heart broken. Others that just want to hook up. They were locked down because of the COVID restrictions and now they're just horny as hell and they just want to go out there and get it out of their system. Others that want a friends with benefits relationship, meaning that what you'll have basically is a relationship of the flesh, but not of the heart. Because they're still on a perpetual quest to find someone that they feel as though deserve them. You have others looking for a soulmate, somebody to complete them because they don't have enough confidence in themselves to complete them themselves. You have people that have not worked on themselves since past relationships and the dysfunction has increased even more with them. And they think something is wrong with the world and nothing's wrong with them. And they would never own it, they're not accountable. And if you try to hold them accountable, they take offense to that as you being mean. You have others that are out there just to use people. They're looking for a place to stay. Others are out there trying to rebuild a human being from the ground up to fix him fix her, to save that person. There are a lot of causations for people being out on the dating scene. Too numerous to even document. And what we have to realize is that it's daunting. But these are the same people 20 years ago that you would meet at the grocery store that you would meet at Target, that you would meet at a Walmart and have no idea that the agendas were as they were. The situations that they were bringing to the table were as they were. You have people talking about what do you bring to the table and some trying to give the snide remark, I bring the table. 
My question that I would ask is, in what building is that table in? What we have to come to grips with is that a lot of dating is aspirational. What you would like to see. And a lot of times what we don't do is we don't take a practical look at what we need in our lives because we associate the word need with desperation. But what we love to do is to use the word want because in our society, that's push more than need. Look at the way we're marketed to. Do you need a BMW that's $325 a month? Or do you want one? And we take that same mindset and we use that with relationships. Because we want that special person. That figure of a person that we've put in our head. Nothing less than for some. People also use dating as an opportunity to tear down others to make themselves feel better, to control others, to manipulate others. Because it all comes down to the problem being within themselves. That's where 90% of the problems are when it comes to dating. It's the people, not the platform. Not the dating site. It's the people that are on the dating site that will dictate the way the site feels. We used to have the same dynamic when it came out to go into nightclubs. There were certain clubs we knew if we went to, there was a certain kind of crowd. You had an urban crowd in one. Other one, you had more of a suburban crowd. The other one, you might have had a rowdy crowd. It varied. Others, you had the sophisticated. It all depended on where you went. Dating is the same way. When it comes to the platforms. Now, the sad truth is, a lot of people will meet others online 75% of the interactions online when it comes to dating sites actually end without setting the first date. The reason being you have so many people that are taking that opportunity to exploit it as much as possible. That's their way of maybe getting back at their partner. You have an argument, I'll go online and I'll just go and start me a relationship with someone. I'll just start chatting with them. Many relationships have started that way where it was just an innocent situation that eventually developed into something a little bit more serious. Sometimes they were good, sometimes they were bad. But these things play into the narrative 
of dating being a scary place for some people, especially people that are divorced, who got married well before the popularity of the internet took off. So they feel displaced, vulnerable. They want to go through the old tradition of dating the way it was where you dated someone who was a friend of a friend or something of that sort or a co-worker or something of that sort. Times have changed now. You got to get your hands dirty. A lot of people don't like doing that. So we relegate ourselves to proximity usually when it comes to dating. We select a certain distance and we're only going to look for those people in that distance. Doesn't necessarily mean you get the best quality of person that would be a match for you, but you're getting the most convenient person that you probably can tolerate. Now, there's another aspect of this that we have to come to grips with, too. This whole dating thing. You're going to be dealing with a situation based on that person's behavior, no matter how you look at it. Now, they may put on a persona at first or some sort of facade. But usually, they're short-lived. In most cases, these people want to be themselves. Some don't know how to be themselves. Some of them don't even know who the hell they are. You have people that are out for affirmation, approval, notoriety. They go on social media, they have all of these followers. And so they feel as though I go on a dating site, I'll get all of these people behind me to give them that sense of confidence they never had intrinsically. It's sad, but that's the state that dating is in right now. If you're looking for a long-term relationship, they're going to be very difficult to find. The reason being, the majority of people that are going online to date are looking for casual dating situations. They're looking for hookups. They're looking for friends with benefits. They're looking for pen pals. They're looking for just friends. Now, this is an after effect also from what has happened with COVID. Many people are trying to live their lives at 100 miles an hour now. Others, on the other hand, are looking for a more stable, sustainable relationship. A lot of people go on dating sites and they just use a gill net. So they check all the boxes and hope to get lucky to find someone that they could really get along with and start up with. You see it, somebody may have signed up for just a hookup and the other individual signed up for a long-term relationship. And then they meet, even though their agendas are not in sync, 
And that person that was expecting a long-term relationship winds up screwing this person for about 30 days and then after that the person ghosts them. And it adds to the narrative of not trusting online dating. We're going to talk more in just a moment. Now, one thing to keep in mind, too, about dating. One type of person you will run across a lot of is the person who professes they're independent. Now, there are some people who are truly independent. Now, what do I mean by this? Self-reliant. Financially independent. Now, some people would think that, hey, that's a great thing. Not so fast. What the implications can also denote is that that person might have gone through a traumatic situation earlier in their lives and being totally independent is their response. That's the way they deal with things. Now, usually people who have this disposition are very centric in their belief structure. If it doesn't pertain to me, it doesn't need to exist. These individuals also, when it comes down relationships to relationships, they're horrible at it. They don't like someone being in their space. They don't like being around other people. These people may have had a lot of responsibilities when they were younger. In other words, where it was more or less uh, a situation where the parents had put duties onto these people that were far beyond the scope of their capacity to handle at a younger age. It could also be a situation where the parent just wasn't there and they had to wing it. You'll run across some of these folks where they're self-taught, they don't believe in going to college, they don't believe in really school that much, they get their education from a YouTube channel, and for the most part, they live their lives as if I'm going to reinvent the wheel for mankind. But it's all about their narrative. Their narrative is the focal point. These are the individuals that even if you were to get them on a date, they would insist on paying for their own meal. So as far as collaboration and any kind of relationship, forget it. It's yours and mine. And that's the way it is. That includes emotions as well as finances. They don't trust anyone. They have a serious issue in doing that. They consider trust a weakness. 
they don't want to be accountable to anyone. So these individuals, and it's not that these people are bad people, these individuals don't like criticism of any sort and don't like being judged. And when I say being judged from their perspective, being judged is any kind of recommendation, whatever it is. They're not necessarily narcissistic. They're very isolated for the most part. They may choose to live in a place that's very difficult to get to. They may choose to be very elusive when it comes to family, friends, and anyone else. You don't get into their space. Now, they may feel lonely on occasion. The reason being is that they don't really have that many friends usually. They're not that socially interactive. And they will go and deal with a purpose, I mean a person, just for a specific purpose. What do I mean by this? Some of them may go and hire prostitutes. So they don't have to go through the minutia of knowing about the person that much. They don't have to really put on a show for them. They just go do their business and they're done. They don't care about whose heart they break, who they may lead on. They, that, that's irrelevant to them. It's all about them and their centric view. Because, see, a lot of these people have been hurt emotionally. They could have been traumatized in their childhood or in a past relationship. And so they're going to declare their independence. And therefore, they look at anyone else who's in a relationship as being weak. This is the reason why they try to avoid any kind of emotional interaction at any cost. They'll be the first to tell a person that they may know at work. Uh, no, don't try to hook me up. I don't want to. I don't want to meet that person. I, I don't want to even deal with that. I just want to come here, go to work, and go home. That's all I want to do. If somebody tries to talk to them in the supermarket or somewhere else, nope, no thank you, not interested, bye. They have no use or interest for anyone else. The only thing they value is what they can identify with, what's associated with them. That's it. They don't want to talk to friends and family. And when I say friends and family, these are more likely people who impose themselves on, on these individuals. These individuals don't go and impose themselves on others. They evade and avoid as much as possible. This is kind of an isolated life. They may have a dog or a cat but they're usually going to have something that does not pose a challenge to them. Something that they have mastered. Because the one thing that they do believe in, and that's C-O-N-T-R-O-L, as Janet Jackson used to say, control. And not partial, not conjunctive control, total control. 
You may find these individuals don't even like working for someone else. Because they don't want to be in a position of vulnerability or servitude. They feel as though the boss, the company, has their paycheck, so therefore they dictate how that person eats. So their interactions with people are very limited, even if they open up a small business. They're not going to be the warmest uh, small business owner. Because it's not even about the business at that point either, it's about themselves. These people are very difficult to get to emotionally as far as a relationship. And a lot of men and women waste their time on individuals like these. Most often they need to go somewhere and get therapy. They need to talk to a therapist about what motivates them to go in this direction. And believe it or not, this is a form of punishment for themselves. They don't like themselves. That's the reason why they do this. Because they're trying to correct a wrong. And that wrong is, I trusted people who hurt me. So therefore, I trust no one but myself. It's sad to say, I've run across about five people that were like this. Even when I had my detachment issue back in the day, I still humanize people. Many of these individuals don't. They hate inconveniences. If they pay for something, they want it right then. They don't want to wait. Even if you happen to get on a date with them, they're very impatient. You will find that in many ways, anxiety just has them by the throat. They'll feel uncomfortable. They can't wait until it's over. And it's not you personally that's going on a date with them that's causing them to do all this. It's the fact that they don't like being around others because they have it ingrained in their minds that they cannot trust anyone else. Everyone else will fail them or disappoint them just like it has been in the past. So why go forward with it? And they were justified by saying the only thing that's going to lead to is more pain. And so by eliminating non-essential people in their lives, which is pretty much everybody, they don't worry about it. These individuals are not going to text you back or call you or anything of that sort. It's beneath them to do that. They may look at you with suspicion. Even if you come over and just tell them what your name is and ask them theirs. 
And see, what they do is they try to find facts and data that support their particular position. The news, anything that's kind of bad or troubling, it allows them to double down on their position. And they will bring up the justification if necessary, of why they are not available, why they are not interested. But like I said, the only time that they will really interact with people, if that person has a utilitarian function in their lives, that's it. They're not going to build a rapport, they're not going to build a relationship. This is the way they are very robotic but they have a very very high value on self-reliance and independence you hear the Republicans talk about pull yourself up by your bootstraps these folks have passed that point they're on steroids they're usually very inconsiderate Would it happen to you? It happened to you. They lack empathy. It didn't happen to them, so they're not worried about it. These people can literally not go to the doctor. They will find everything that doesn't fit their narrative as a threat. And you'll know very quickly if you've run into one of these folks because you'll never get through to them and they're always going to be short with the conversation with you. It's not that they don't have any interest in you in a romantic sense. They don't have any interest in you as a human being. Both men and women take on this particular uh, attitude. It's just something for you to really consider and think about. So if you run across these characteristics in this kind of order or succession, this will give you an idea of what you're dealing with. More in a moment. Variable reinforcement interval ratios. What is that? That's like a recurring practice in relationships. Usually find these in toxic relationships or volatile relationships. This is when there's a cycle that's produced of violent interactions that could be abusive Emotionally abusive, financially abusive, verbally abusive, physically abusive. And what happens, there's this cycle that people prepare themselves for. And what it comes down to is this. Even though the person who is not perpetrating the violence, whether it's uh, through financial means or whatever, it comes down to the person who's on the receiving end. 
And what they will wind up doing is eventually preempt the conflict that they're going to have. In other words, they start participating in the very same behavior as the aggressor does. You know, you've seen couples where they always argue, fight, and make up, et cetera, et cetera, right? This is a cycle of that. Now, usually what happens, it intensifies over time. It doesn't slow down. You can use the same analogy when it comes to gambling or any other practice where you'll go through that period and then you'll start feeling bad about yourself. You have the euphoria of going in, getting your, getting everything off your chest with your partner, and then you'll hit that lull afterwards, that low point. And then it'll come up again, and then it'll go back down. Usually when it goes back down with couples, it's the makeup sex. Now, this is very, 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 I can't even put another very on it, but very stressful and time consuming. And you wonder why some of these people stay in these dysfunctional relationships. It's because they become accustomed to the cycle. And after a while, it's normalized. And so what this person will do, they will actually start fitting into a role of survivability in these volatile relationships. They will comport themselves where they know what they need to do, such as walking on eggshells in these situations in order to keep themselves out of harm's way, but yet be an active combatant and participant in whatever issue it is, whether it's financial abuse, where the husband's taking a credit card or the wife's taking a credit card and they're going over the top with it. It's always going to be a cyclical thing. You pay the credit cards down, then it's back up again. You guys back to arguing again. You have makeup sex. And then you pay it off and say, honey, it's not going to happen again, etc., etc. It's the same thing. It's an addictive practice is what it is. Just like these people here in Vegas with the casinos. Oh, I'm going to only pay the penny slots. Play the penny slots, but you're spending six to ten dollars a spin. So symbolically, it's one penny. But the problem is you got ten dollars in the machine. So you blow through a hundred dollars pretty quickly in ten spins. Well, you'd have a hundred spins for every dollar. But now, that's too complex. We'll simplify it by just putting a $10 bill in the machine. So what happens? You start to learn that maybe I don't need to play all 10, I'll play all the numbers at one time in order to get a spin. So let me, instead of spending a $10 per spin, I'll just go and break it down and only spend like $5 per spin. Because the hope is that you're going to have a payoff or a jackpot 
before you run out of money. Times get hard, you go down to $2 a spend or $2.50 a spend. Just so that you can stay in it. Because the addiction is going to require you to still play the game. Well, in these types of situations, that addiction is going to still require you to stay in that relationship. Because you're actually addicted to that dysfunction. Because it's normalized and you've now accepted that as part of your relationship. Even though when you first got into that relationship, you never in your wildest dreams thought it would be a situation where you would be in a relationship that involved emotional violence, financial violence, or any other kind of violence. Or trauma, disturbance. And then once you're in there, and you probably wouldn't know how to function after you got out of that relationship to get into another one. Because by the time you're in that relationship, your perception of yourself is so bastardized. You would not recognize yourself prior to that relationship. Wouldn't even come close. Once again, folks, you know when I talk about going and giving only 20% of yourself for compromising the relationship, by this time, you're damn near at 100%. You've gone past therapy with this because now you would actually defend the very behavior that's hurting you. And the very individual's behavior, which is your partner, that's hurting you. So you love this person, you're going to go through, they abuse the credit cards, you pay one off, and I'd be damned if they don't get another one, charge it up to the max, and you got to pay that one off, and they got you on that hamster wheel. And you go up and down, back and forth with the same arguments over and over. And they escalate in intensity. Because the person wants to be heard even more than they were heard last time. They want to get their point across. Oh, and they start with the name calling, the accusations, all, all those things. They become normal. But one thing that I will tell you, ladies and gentlemen, please listen to me. If your partner batters you or hits you one time, it's time to go. Don't give them a second strike. Don't give them a third strike. If they hit you one time, it's time to go. Because you don't know if you're going to survive that second blow. And it may not be in one confrontation. It may be on down the line in another one. Because sometimes people will harbor anger at their partner and let it build up. And between the time they had their last blowout and the next blowout, that person may feel as though they have to really get their point across. Because the key is not to normalize that kind of behavior. Because when you do, that person's going to say, 
Well, you should have left, but you stayed, so you accepted it. This is the reason why women that get into relationships like these, and at first they want the family members to intervene and the friends to intervene, and they see that that person's still going back to be treated the same way, they lose empathy from those people. They lose their support mechanism. And what do they say? Things like, well, she'll learn or he'll learn. How long are you going to put up with that? Then eventually they distance themselves from you. Because at that point, you are lowering their value. You're lowering their standards. And they don't want to participate in that behavior. So what they'll do or know anyone that participates in that. And what they will do is isolate you voluntarily. And of course, as far as the abuser goes, that's all they need is for you to be abandoned by your family, friends, and everyone else. Or you're at their mercy going through that stupid ass cycle over and over and over again. And not benefiting from it at all. Like a hamster chasing a piece of lettuce. And by the way, speaking of hamsters, as a side note, I did not know that you're not supposed to put two hamsters together. There's some violent little creatures when they are together. Saw a video about that. Thought that was pretty interesting. But yes, overall, this is something that you would definitely need definitely need to keep an eye on because once you start normalizing that dysfunction like that it's not going to stop because that's going to be a part of your relationship this is the reason why you have to set boundaries boundaries for name calling you don't permit that boundaries for hands being put on your body you don't permit that those should be fundamental and upfront. Those should be the very standards that you set for yourselves well before you get into a relationship with anyone. Those are two foundational ones that are under the cloak of respect and dignity. I had a lady that wrote me, I think it was a couple of months ago. She was caught at a crossroads. She and her boyfriend had lost their jobs. And this was before, you know, these employers started talking about hiring in a big way. I think it was longer than that. It was several months ago, I think. And what had happened, they were trying to figure out a way to make some money this couple was. And so he talked his girlfriend into going and doing an OnlyFans page. And primarily what was going to happen, they were going to have sex on the page and charge admission, which they did. They did pretty well for a short period of time. 
And then the guy started getting jealous because she became very popular on it. And these men were offering her different things, telling her things such as, oh, you need to leave that bum. He's got you out here stripping naked and having sex. Guys talking about they could take care of and those kind of things. Well, what it led to was a volatile relationship. And the reason why she wrote me was because she wanted to keep doing the OnlyFans thing. But she was trying to figure out a way to leave him. Now, I told her to only do it when she's safe. When it's a safe bet that she can get away from it. Don't know what happened after that. I wished her all the best, but she never wrote me back. I gave her an invitation to come on the show. So, I don't know. She wrote me anonymously and things like that, you know, it hits you in the gut. But that's what happens. Anyway, you know, you got to think about things like this, man, because this is no laughing matter. These volatile relationships are nothing to play with. People get upset, they get mad, they say things they don't mean to say, and you really need to watch what you say and how you say it to your partner. We don't think about that because we're angry and we just want to get it out of our system and get them a piece of our mind. And sometimes that piece is a little bit too much for them to endure and take. So we have to understand that, you know, these things don't always um, go away like some people think they would. Holding out thinking that, well, I'll just go and walk on the eggshells and maybe this will blow over. No, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. And like I said, it doesn't have to be DV. It doesn't have to be domestic violence. It could be financial abuse. It could be emotional abuse where the guy will go and literally abandon her emotionally. Or the woman may go and exile him. And with that, it starts an argument. And then from that argument, Ugly names are called. People walk out of the house. People leave. Come back days later. They make up. Only to prepare themselves for the next round. More in a moment, folks.
You may listen and subscribe to the Romantic Truth podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash romantic truth and join our group there by searching for Romantic Truth under groups. Now I'm going to talk about detachment, but detachment in a different way. See, my detachment had to do with the fact that I was so accustomed to being by myself that I never really considered the sentiments and feelings of others. However, I did not dehumanize anyone. I didn't objectify people. It was that if I wanted to go out somewhere, I'd go meet a lady, get her dressed up to go, maybe take her to a department store, get her a new dress, get her shoes, purse, and all the rest of that, get her hair done, makeup done, and we'd go. We'd have a wonderful night, take pictures together and everything, drop her off. I didn't want to see her anymore because I was compartmentalizing my emotions. And as I've told this before, one of the ladies that I went on a date with called me up and told me, hey, you got a problem. I said, what's that? She said, we had a wonderful time last night. She said, I appreciate all the things you did for me. We had a wonderful evening. I want to pursue this a little bit more with you. But the way you disconnected from me, I don't like. And we talked about it. And then I went to my therapist and thought about it. And indeed, that's what I was dealing with, was detachment. Being that I was an only child growing up, I was comfortable with myself. And I had to come to grips with, hey, you know, why the hell am I just enjoying life like this when I could also incorporate somebody else in it. Then I started dating again. When I say dating, where it was interactive, that kind of thing, because I realized that that element, I've forgotten all about it. I just never really put any effort towards it. And I would go, a smile, go to work, be very personable, even when I had a detachment issue. But when it came down to relationships, that was the extent of it. Take them to dinner, that's it. And then I had to come to realize that it was more or less what I thought they expected of me. And it made all the difference. Now, there was a lady that I met also, and this was years later, and this was the first time I ever heard of this term called trauma bonding. And the reason why this came up was because she had been in a very, very bad relationship. And she had gone to therapy and her therapist told her about this particular 
thing that she was going through before she broke up with the guy. Now, here's the thing. Before we started dating, she made clear on certain things to me. One of them was that I don't want to sound irresponsible, but I'm going to be with you. We can be friends. We can kick it. We can have sex. We can do all of those things. She said, I'll get as nasty with you in the bedroom as you want. She says, but I don't want or need a commitment from you. And I was like, well, are you going to see other guys or what? She's like, no. She said, I'll be exclusive to you as, as long as you're exclusive to me. But I just don't want nothing to materialize from this, such as a relationship. I was like, well, okay, let me think about it. Next day she called me up and she said, okay, what do you think about it? I said, all right, we can go for it. So we did. And we had a wonderful time together. But here's the reason why she brought the trauma bonding up. She was in a very abusive relationship before, as I said. And the problem was, it got to a point where her abuser was like a challenge to her. And what she did was go toe-to-toe with him. And remember in the first uh, part of the podcast, I talked about the cycle. This is what she was involved with. And what it led to was her going out dating, but not getting to a point of getting involved with anyone seriously because she still had trust issues. She still wanted the functional things of a relationship, the intimacy, the closeness, the sex, and all the rest. But what she didn't want was the commitment because that was a trigger for her. That reminded her of being back into that relationship. And she had to really work on herself. She was reluctant about going out with me at first. And it took about, I think she said, a year and a half before she was able to start even talking to men again. So she went through something that was really traumatizing. Now, here's the thing that I bring up, though. The reason why a lot of people out there now are looking for hookups and they're looking for friends with benefits and that kind of thing is because of the fact they don't want to be responsible, but they don't, really be, they don't want to be held to the same standard as people would be held for in a regular relationship. It doesn't mean that they don't have standards. It means that their standards are different, not lower, but different from other folks. And this is what I learned from her. Because I was used to the traditional standard. We get in relationships in order to have a relationship. We don't get into it to just oscillate. And this was one of the dynamics I had to learn. And so, as you get into relationships, you grow. And that's what I did with her. Now, one of the interesting things also with this whole thing is that 
these individuals will still have their self-worth intact. They won't feel less than. They know what they're getting into with their eyes open. Now, if you really think about it, that same mindset is used for open relationships, polyamorous relationships, polygamous relationships, polyandry relationships. Because the thing is, that individual does not have to be responsible for their actions in a traditional sense. So the conflict comes in when a person says, well, you know, uh, you're only supposed to be with one person. You're not supposed to be with two or three or four. Doesn't mean that they don't have standards. They have standards. They're just different from everybody else's, from the traditional sense. And the hardest thing for people to stomach is that in these relationships, this person's going to be with other people. And that causes a problem for many. How many times have you talked to a partner and you start talking about dating them and they said they want exclusivity, they want a commitment, and they only want to be with you and nobody else and you, you can only be with them? Nothing's wrong with that. That's the standard that was set. Okay, fine. The two of you agree? Fine. But there are some people where they have the standard set where, yes, you could be with other people, but maybe not around me. Or you could be with other people as long as you bring them around me. Or it, it could be a whole plethora of different things. But the key is, these folks don't want to be held to the same standard as a traditional relationship. And some people find that hard to stomach. I know I did in the beginning, in the initial stages. But what I had learned to do was to have my standards. And if they weren't met by someone else, or if I was conflicted, there was no need to go further. And what I realized after dating the lady I told you about, What I chose to do then was to raise my standards where I didn't want to just be with someone casually like that. The reason being, those relationships cost money and they waste a lot of money, energy, and time. Because I'm the kind of person that would have to operate with a goal in mind. I have to have a goal. I'm not one of these people that would just nebulously go around and just flounder. Even though there were a lot of relationships that I wasted a lot of time in because people spoke one way and acted another. And you have people that do that. I remember this one particular lady I was thinking about dating, didn't get a chance to date her. And we were chatting one evening. This was well before the internet. And I met her through a mutual friend. And I was like, man, she's smoking. She's really nice. And we had a good conversation. And she asked me, she says, well, what kind of dating are you interested in? I said, I'm looking for a long-term relationship, that kind of thing. She says, oh, well, it looks like our ships won't meet in the night. I said, why is that? She said, because I'm looking for something short-term because... I'm getting engaged next week and I'm looking for something that I could probably just jump off with 
for about a week or so. I didn't even try for it. I was already eliminated because I had laid out my agenda. But apparently she got with some guy for that week before she got married. Did the groom know? Don't have a clue. But you have some people that operate like that. And that's within their boundaries. That's within the norm for them. Now, true enough, she set her own boundaries then, but you got to remember, with the relationship, your partner comes in with boundaries, you have boundaries, and then the relationship itself should have boundaries as well. As far as to monitor, uh, as far as to correct the behavior between the two of you, and to resolve any conflicts you may have with your own boundaries in regards to pertaining to the relationship, it's like you and your partner are inside of a container, and it has a fence around that container, and two of you inside that container have a fence around each other. One around you, one around him, vice versa. And that is your zone to protect yourself. And we all have them. We have to. Because we'd be engaging in all kinds of things if we didn't. So we have to have standards. And there's nothing wrong with that. Now, there's some people who operate totally without standards. I met a few of them along the way. I avoided the hell out of them, but I met them. And I didn't agree with some of the things that these ladies were engaging in. I met a lady through a personal ad in the Los Angeles Times years ago. Tell you how old I am, right? And um, we went out on our first date. She wanted to go to a bookstore. We went to one out there near Venice, California, Venice Beach. And we got there. And she says, uh, well, what else are we going to do tonight? Because we were drinking coffee and eating donuts in there. And she's like, you know what I want to do? I said, what's that? She says, we got to go have sex in an adult theater. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute, where'd that come from? I thought she was joking. She was serious. Well, we went to the adult theater, but we didn't have sex. Thank goodness. I didn't want to be arrested, and I kind of talked her out of it. But she was so enthusiastic about it, and after the date, she says, yeah. She says, well, I don't think that we'll be compatible because you're no fun. I said, well, what do you consider fun? She says, I'd like a spontaneous guy that would have just gone in there and whipped it out and we got busy in there and then we could have the rest of the nights to ourselves. And so I said, well, you weren't worried about getting locked up or anything? And she said, no. She had no boundaries. She's like, I'm not ashamed of my body. I'm not ashamed of who I am. And she wasn't. i tell you one thing. That night, I got an eyeful. But I wasn't touching that because I don't know where it been or how many guys or anything. 
I was playing it safe that night. Call me a wimp if you want to on that one. Wasn't going to happen. But this is what happens sometimes. You meet people and they may not have a moral compass. They may not have the boundaries set up or the structure in their lives. And you have to navigate around that. Don't set them too high because if they are too high, I can tell you right now, you're going to isolate yourself. And not only that, the good people, especially with you ladies, the good guys, they're not going to go through all that shit for you. It's going to be the guys that you don't want that are going to go through those hurdles because they have something to prove to you. The good men don't. More in a moment. All right, Greta wants me to talk about the difference between guilt and shame. She writes the following out of San Antonio, Texas. My boyfriend's always trying to make me feel guilty and he shames me when he tells me that I'm fat and he makes me feel guilty when he says that I buy nothing but junk food to make him fat. So he feels as though it's a deliberate thing that I do. It's kind of ironic When I go to the grocery store, he's always asking me to get Twinkies, Doritos, and all kinds of other goodies. But yet, I've put on about 15 extra pounds since we've been together. And boy, have I paid the price. That's all I've heard. My fat ass. Get out of the way of the television set. But it's kind of funny. He bends me over in bed, and he loves to pound his fat ass. I haven't figured it out yet. You men need to really rethink the way you think about women and weight. Greta, San Antonio, Texas. Well, Greta, I will tell you this. Um, He's doing that as a measure of control. Now, shame is something that's applied to you personally. This is the reason why in the African-American community especially... You hear a lot of black women call men the F word, gay, or they will call them some other name. What they're doing is they're making a direct uh, barb, throwing a direct barb at him in order to make him feel as though he is wrong for just being around, just for existing. But what this does, it triggers in men this imperative to raise the anxiety level. And with this, they become very defensive. And what do they usually do? They're going to come back with something. They're going to come back with another remark back to them. And what's going to happen is going to be he's going to call her a bitch or whatever. She'll probably say something, he has a little dick or something like that. And it's going to go back and forth like that. And a lot of times you will see this 
when a guy tries to talk to a lady and she's, you know, told him no or she's dissed him, and then you'll have that friction, that interaction. So shame has more to do with something that's pertaining to you. It's pointing their finger at you. Not what you did, even though shame should be associated with your behavior or what you've done. Anger and shame are two things that work together. And this is the reason why when a man is shamed, it escalates to anger quickly. Men do this all the time with each other. Oh, you ain't nothing but a punk. Say it again. Before you know it, he's ready to fight. That's because anger is the tip that you see above the waterline. Put Mount Everest, we'll say, somewhere like in the Atlantic Ocean, something that's not so deep. Couldn't put it in the Marianas because you still have about a mile before the top of Mount Everest would even show up. But we'll say you put it there in the Atlantic and the tip of it is sticking out of the, out of the ocean. Now, the thing to keep in mind is this. What's underneath that water is the majority of that mountain. And you can use the same analogy with an iceberg. So what that means in essence is that you see the reaction, which is the anger. That's not the core problem there. The core problem is the shame. That's what leads to the anger. Now, this is where men who are disciplined, this is where that has to come into place. The woman that shames the man and says something like, you gonna let him take that parking space from us? You need to get out and whoop his ass. He's shamed, so now what he's gonna do? He's gonna direct that anger towards that other gentleman. While he's not really looking at the source of his anger, it came from the shame that his woman gave him. And unfortunately for him, he took it in the wrong direction. This is what happens with a lot of these young black kids out there now, with these girls, these women. They're getting them to go out and have beef with other guys, shaming them. And it, oh, you a punk, you gonna let him talk to you like that? Fellas, when the woman tells you that, she ain't about shit and she ain't about you. Even after the altercation you would have with that other gentleman, she's still gonna be alive and probably screwing another dude while you getting locked up or getting shot. Because you're nothing but a droid to her. You're just like a robot, that's it. She'll replace you in a minute with somebody else. The next guy that's up on the chopping block. Now, so that's what he used was the shame aspect of it and when it comes down to the guilt the guilt is fundamentally something that they're going to make you think you've done wrong or that you did do wrong and they're going to hold that guilt is more associated with behavior shame is more associated with you the person and so this is the reason why women use a lot of shame with men. And that shame usually has to do with something 
associated with feminization. Oh, he does this like a girl. He does this like this. And and what happens is these men don't cry. They don't emote. They just suck it up like society tells us to do. But then the first question they ask is why when he goes into a place that has a mass shooting. Then the questions are why? And a lot of times it started with shame leading to anger that led to violence. Because some men feel as though that's the only way that they can react because society has geared us that way. Another man shames one man, the man's up there talking about, you ain't gonna call me no punk, and he's gonna get into a fight. As opposed to using conflict resolution skills in order to resolve it, so they don't have to fight. Just like the guy in Atlanta with the parking space that got shot all those times because his girlfriend was punking him to get out of the car and confront the other guy. Where in actuality, what should have happened He should have put her ass out the car and found a parking space to park, call her an Uber and get her ass home. That would have saved him from getting shot and for the other man from going to jail. But sometimes people don't think like that. Guilt is a term that people hate using, hate saying, but they will use the hell out of guilt in order to try to manipulate you into the direction they would like you to go in. Family members do it all the time. Friends do it to you. People who may not be as good as you are in something will use guilt. And that's a problem. In your case, ma'am, what he was trying to do was to reverse the guilt onto you for him wanting to eat those snacks. And what he was trying to do was externalize shame with you by blaming you for being fat. And like you said, he was still pounding on you every night sexually. So what that means is that you couldn't take him seriously. He was a hypocrite. He's going to criticize you, but the very person he's criticizing, the very fat ass he's criticizing, is the very fat ass he's pounding on. You run across people like that. But in any case, the only thing I would recommend is that you got to start setting some boundaries. You guys probably need to go to counseling down there in San Antonio and start setting some boundaries about name calling. And other things, because there's more than this, I'm sure, that he's complained about with you. Because he's got to start respecting you if you're going to stay in a relationship. The one thing you don't want to do is let him drag you down to a level where he feels as though he doesn't have to respect you anymore. Now, um... 
I guess I can read this from Otis. Oh boy, here we go. I hope you're doing okay, man. I listen to your podcast every once in a while. I'm 54 years old. My name is Otis and I live in Oakland, California. I met this pretty thing. She's 35 years old. She has three kids and she doesn't have a place to stay. I moved her in with me because I own a duplex and things have been going pretty well so far. The only problem I have is that 16 year old daughter of hers. She's starting to hang out late at night. I'm afraid to say something to her. I talked to her mother about her. Her mother is hands off. She's one of these type parents that once they turn 18, she's glad they're gone. All of her kids are not bad, just that one. She's kind of out there. I'm just wondering, do you think I should reach out to this child and try to talk to her and explain that she needs to start coming home on time and that kind of thing? I've been afraid to do it because I'm not a biological father and I don't want to get involved. And I listened to what you said about not getting involved if you're not the biological father, but to go through the mother or go through the dad. Otis, Oakland, California. Otis, the only thing I would tell you is this. If the mom says it's okay, I wouldn't push it. She's 16, she's already passed those formative and impressionable years. She's who she's gonna be as an adult. There's nothing you could do to curtail that behavior. See, here's the thing. Again, if she respected her mother and you, but mainly her mother, she wouldn't be out like that. So that level of disrespect was established well before you came along. That's a pre-existing condition. Nothing you could do with that. The only thing you could do with that is get your feelings hurt because I'm gonna tell you, when it comes down to you criticizing the kids or even trying to correct them and they're not yours, oh, that mother's gonna spring into action on your ass. So the best thing to do is just stay out of it and hope to God nothing happens to this child until she's 18. Then she can go out and do what she wants to, stay out as late as she wants to. But as far as an intervention from you, that would not be a good idea. My opinion only, it's up to you. You're living in the circumstances and you probably have a better observation than I do of the situation. All right, folks, I want to thank you for listening. And once again, it's been a pleasure. Romantic Truth would like to take this opportunity and applaud our listeners and over 40 countries for their support. If you need someone to talk to in regards to help, you may contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255, available 24 hours. All correspondences read on the show have been pre-screened and pre-approved by the submitter to be aired on the show. The views and opinions of this podcast does not reflect those of Romantic Truth, Anchor, Spotify, or any of its affiliates, 
the opinions expressed are solely those of the host and guests, and should not be deemed as professional guidance, advice, or a professional practice. In the event you may need professional assistance, contact your local federal, state, or county agencies for specific assistance in social services, family counseling, or mental health services. For all medical, legal, and financial services please contact the appropriate licensed and certified professionals within your region. The music that is provided on this podcast that is not provided by Anchor is used under waiver by Jaws and One Music for fair use. Please be advised that the content of this podcast is under copyright by Romantic Truth and James Adams.